This episode of Nerd Cognito is brought to you by CuraDebt. CuraDebt Debt Counseling offers you free debt settlement consultations. You're not dealing with the banks. You're not dealing with the credit cards. You're dealing with a company that is there to work for you and not the creditors. Hey, bad things happen. Bad things happen to all of us. If you have $10,000 or more in unsecured or credit card or personal loan debt, you owe it to yourself to give them a call. Pick up the phone, call 866-951-2699 for your free debt consultation. CuraDebt will work with you and provide you with a roadmap to rebuilding your credit. It's free. You have absolutely nothing to lose, but possibly the bad stuff that comes along with debt. 866-951-2699. Gather up your statements, give them a call, and take advantage of a free consultation. 866-951-2699. Cura Debt. 866-951-2699. Now, on with the show. Oh, it is another fine Wednesday. My name is Ryan David. Bert is with me. Hey, Bert. Hey, Ryan. How's it going tonight? It is going well, and you are are sliding right in to your co-host position, and I appreciate that because... Michael's a dick. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't call him a dick. It's not like he oh, came no, on. I, I would call him you. A dick. He just disappeared. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. Uh, as most of our fans know, we record on on Sundays, and today is the celebration of the Stupid Bowl. So, Michael is he's home by himself watching this stupid thing. I mean, come on, TiVo. That do people still say TiVo that? I don't know. I, I still mean, say TiVo that. You can always catch the highlights later. I mean, if Mike misses too many more podcasts, you're going to have to put them on a milk carton. They still put missing kids on milk cartons? They do. They do. We are going to bust Mike's balls for standing us up all night long. So, Michael, when you listen to this, if you listen to this, because God knows you haven't been. <laughs> yeah, this week we've got a... An interesting little hodgepodge of stuff. Michael and I tried to play the board game Barrage over the weekend. And it did not go well, Bert. Well, yeah, we were talking a little bit before the podcast. You said that it has a pretty high like difficulty rating. I don't know if it's difficult. Um, we were sitting there looking through it. And I'm sure that we will talk about it down the road in fact michael even said bro uh why don't we just why don't we just uh you know record a segment with me and you can cut it in before before you know everything launches because i don't have enough to do bert you know why don't you turn it into a nano like we did with uh otis that is a very very good idea so i I don't want to spoil two things but i will safely say that the rule book was very clearly a non-English rule book that was poorly translated, on mm, top of it like being that. the heaviest game that we have played in recent memory. So that combination, well, we fucked up. <laughs> you gotta love those translation errors. Is it originally a European game? It is. It is very clearly a heavy Euro. 
it was just bad. And I think that comes with not being distributed by a big distributor as well. I want to say it was an Italian game to start. Okay. Regardless, it was it was a challenge. We played about three quarters of the way through the game, realized that we made a game-breaking error. At this point, it was 11 o'clock or so, and oh, wow. we, just, we just called it. So it's still sitting on the game table right as we left it. The good news is it's very teachable now that we are not reliant on the manual. So I guess it was worth the investment. I think you would really enjoy it. I normally do like a good challenge, and especially if, you know, like you said, you've messed it up, so you know what not to do next time. Right, and I think having that experience sort of chewing through it since we didn't have a very concise rule book to chew through, we'll be able to teach it. So why don't we put Barrage sort of on the back burner and we will do a full segment or a nano once we get a good playthrough. So I can tell you the things that I liked and disliked about it if it comes up. Uh, For those of you that don't know, Barrage is a slightly older game. I want to say it was 2019, 2020, where you are a dystopian company slash country that is trying to assess and assert hydroelectric dominance where water is power in the dystopian world. So pretty much you are building dams and generators and conduits and trying to convert as much energy as possible to achieve both global and personal goals. Very interesting board, great mechanics, awesome components, fucking terrible rules. It was it was bad. It was bad. For the two of us to chew through that rule book, we passed it back and forth. It, it, it was tough. And it didn't help that it is such a deep and complex Euro. So it's not just shoots and ladders with a bad rule book. It is a game that really, really needs a good rule book. Plus, I won't watch those dickbags on YouTube because watching a YouTube video just doesn't do it for me for rules. <laughs> no, I don't like learning to play from YouTube either. I would rather get my hands in it, make mistakes like you guys did, figure it out, and kind of go from there. The The way you describe it, though, all I can and this is really dumb and I'm kind of dating myself here, but all I can think of is National Lampoon's Vegas Vacation and right. all the damn jokes. You're like, it's a damn game. You're trying to get a damn victory. You, you'd be surprised. Michael and I did not go there when we were playing it, but it was just the two of us, and we were sort of having a real-life conversation over a board game. So it was, it was a very odd Friday night. Probably not the greatest Friday night for me to try to play a really complex Euro for the first time. But um, like I said, it has a lot of promise. I really enjoyed what we did, and we did everything mechanically correct, but we were scoring and record-keeping wrong. So oh, okay. the next playthrough will, will be a lot more fun. And it's it's pretty fucking competitive. I can see, I can see some arguments coming out over this game if you have the wrong group that's playing it. 
fighting for resources and things like that, you mean? And squeezing people out of resources and having to use um, an opponent's resources. Just uh, there's a lot of screw your neighbor without directly screwing your neighbor. Oh, those are always interesting. But you never know which way those are going to go. No, you, you never do. So stay tuned. Barrage, show up in some format. I'm thinking if we do hold it until we all can play it, it'll be a full segment or a nano. But what, what other options do we have, right? But <laughs> we'll talk about Barrage in detail. I really, really liked it, even though we completely, completely messed it up. So that is a great thing for me to say. If I really, really liked it, knowing that we completely screwed the pooch when we were playing it, it's going to be a good game. So what you're saying is, stay tuned, listeners, for an upcoming review of Barrage at some point in the future. That was wonderful, Bert. It's almost as though you worked in radio in the past. <laughs> no, never worked in radio. I did, but that's that's another lifetime ago. Hey, you did work on something this week. I did, and this is a great transition. You're talking about coming attractions, and so am I. What do you have for us? Hit me with it. Okay, well, you know, I'm always checking to see kind of what's coming out, what's new, just so I can kind of get an idea of what to look forward to. New as far as what? Like hookers on the corner, or? No, no. Oh, Candy got new teeth? (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) i'm talking about new shows new streaming releases things like that Ah, streaming services what are they going to bring out that's going to wow me because stuff to watch right there's not a lot i don't have a lot of time to watch things so i try to like look at what's upcoming so i can kind of gauge whether or not i'm going to be interested in it and it sounds like you have a list Right, I did some digging into a variety of different uh, streaming services, things that are upcoming, and I thought maybe we'd talk about whether or not they catch our attention. Yeah, that that sounds great, because I am finishing up Downton Abbey with the wife. We're a little little late to the party on Downton Abbey. And we did finish The Expanse, so there's going to be another slot for something new coming up, so... I'd rather not reach backwards. I'd rather, you know, try to stay current. So what have you got? Okay. So what for this, I set up, uh, you know, obviously if you're already watched the last season of something that you loved, you're going to watch the next season. So I looked at only new properties and only things that have already been announced in production, things like that, as far as that's okay. Spectacular. Cause like we're going to watch the Witcher, obviously, for as long right. as it goes on. We're going to watch Discovery and Picard for as long as they go on. So these are right. We're, brand new things that are on the horizon. Right, and I'm definitely going to watch the next season of Stranger Things when it comes out. So that kind of stuff isn't on this list. Okay, I like it. I like it a lot. This is Bleeding Edge Future Shows with Bert. Right. Nerdy Coming Attractions. So the first one is a Disney Plus show. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, they actually got Ewan McGregor to reprise his role from the prequels as Obi-Wan. I did hear that. I did hear that. And Th- they're bringing back Aiden, or Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader. I also heard that. 
Supposedly, the show takes place 10 years after Revenge of the Sith, where uh, Obi-Wan faced his greatest defeat and he lost Anakin to the dark side. And it's kind of like where his life went after that point. I I didn't want to yell, I have the high ground, right? (laughs) Right. That's what everybody picks, yeah. So the question is, you know, Disney Plus is releasing all these Star Wars shows now, The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett. Is Obi-Wan something that's going to attract your attention? Yes, and I'll tell you why, at least for me. I have very little interest. I know, hate mail's coming in. I can hear people getting their fingers and cracking their knuckles and getting ready. I have little to no interest in The Mandalorian, despite how amazing it's supposed to be. I have even less interest in the book of Boba Fett. Have not seen a single episode of either of those shows. I will watch the Obi Wan show. I'm I'm more excited about that prospect than anything that's out there right now in the Star Wars universe. I, and I have to say, I'm kind of interested too because, you know, being an older nerd, I loved the original three Star Wars movies, and it's kind of, I want to know how Obi-Wan went from this, like, hopeful, optimistic Jedi Knight who lost his apprentice to the dark side to becoming Old Ben the Hermit. Like, what happened in that intervening time? You know what I mean? And it sounds like they're setting up to tell us what happened in that intervening time. And, you know, just trying to... I guess speculate. Obviously, this is before he hermited up, but it's going to be the series of events that led to him finally making the decision to go on a desert planet that just happened to have his apprentice's son on it. Right. Now, I'm very interested. I I loved Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. I liked Hayden Christensen as Anakin Vader. So I was in a minority then. But now there's worse Star Wars movies that have come out. Agreed. So for me to say that I like the prequel movies, I don't get the hate that I used to get. The only prequel movie I really disliked was was the first one, was episode one. And that's because... The Phantom Menace. Yes, yes. It was... It was just all over the place. I wanted it to start, I guess, with the Clone Wars. If they would have taken some of the Clone Wars stories, which, from what I understand, were penned at the time, or at least the ideas were were sort of laid out in a framework, and started there instead of going back to, I'm Anakin and I'm eight and I'm going to bang that princess that's ten. That didn't do it for me. Plus, there was 45 minutes of a video game advertisement built into the movie, which I also did not appreciate. Oh, you're talking about the pod racing? I am talking about the pod racing. Right. I mean, I think that you can like the prequels at this point. After the release of the most recent films, you can like the prequels at this point and be okay. As long as you don't come out and say, I love Jar Jar Binks or something like that, you'll be fine. You know that I have been one that has always defended Jar Jar. I think that he's a fantastic character, and I wish that 
he would have been able to go to fruition and become the Sith Lord that he truly is. <laughs> I 100% subscribe to Jar Jar is the Sith Lord above Sidious. But we'll never, ever know because people... Do, do you hate Jar Jar? I mean, the the thing that... I find his speech pattern irritating. I don't hate the character. Like, I think that he was not used effectively. Like, he went from comedy relief to the guy they blame for the Empire with, like, no, like, build-up or... Like, it would be nice if you saw him acting like an idiot and then being nefarious. Like, that would be better. You know, if he's the bad guy... I want to see him be the bad guy. If he created the Empire as an idiot on accident, that's just a little weird. Even as written, I think that the character pulls a lot of unnecessary hate. I, I do not understand the hatred for Jar Jar Binks, and I never did. But we're being real old heads talking about Jar Jar Binks. We are. We're, Shall we go on to the next show? Well, I I, I still want to say... I think that this has some legs. <laughs> Take that, Anakin. Right. Uh, this this has some legs, and it is a series that would cause me to re-up my Disney Plus subscription. I had Disney Plus when it rolled out, watched it zero hours over four or five months, and said, that's it. With as many nieces and nephews as I have, we keep Disney Plus around jen got it for free somehow for the first year because of something that she ordered or something like that they gave her a free membership for the first year they were given away left and right with all sorts of different cross promotions so uh, that's how i had it too right right so but it's a it's a good chance for me to kind of catch up on what the newest disney films are and things like that when you've got as many nieces and nephews as i have it's kind of nice to know what they're talking about well, the only thing, Disney, that I've really cared about lately is their balance sheet because I uh, do have some, some investment money behind Disney. But as far as product goes, Disney has not had a product that I said, ooh, until I heard about the Obi-Wan series. And I said, ooh, that is something that I will watch. So excellent, excellent top of the list. All right, next on the list is from Paramount Plus, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Yes, you're like hitting home runs with this list, man. Yep, Discovery spinoff following the adventures of Captain Christopher Pike, Science Officer Spock, and First Officer Una Chin Riley on the USS Enterprise around a decade before James Kirk takes command. Now, have you watched Discovery, Bert? I have not. I don't have Paramount Plus. I'm thinking about getting it, but I haven't pulled the trigger yet. Discovery pulls a lot of hate, too, from, from I call them the butthurt brigade. Uh, they've been around since Trek has been around. It's the same people that, we like Next Generation, because that's not what Star Trek is. And then it was, we like Deep Space Nine, because that's not what Star Trek was. We like Voyager, because, you know, they just, they just keep going. And, and now right. the target is... We don't like Discovery because blah, 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 all the same reasons. Oh, it's bad writing. Well, we've heard that forever about Star Trek. It's not bad and, writing. Oh, they're trying to force wokeness through Star Trek Discovery. 
if there is one individual that you know in the world whose head would explode if someone was forcing wokeness in a show that they loved, who would it be, Bert? Uh, that would be you. I have no problem with Star Trek Discovery. It's, it's, they're just trying to niggle every single, I probably shouldn't use that word because people don't know what it really means. They're right. trying to nitpick every single element. Look it up, people. It's not a bad word. Um, now, the thing that really kind of caught me, my interest about Strange New Worlds, as opposed to Discovery and things like that, is it, um, they say that it kind of throws back to Star Trek, the original series, in that it's more episodic, more explorational, rather than having like a more linear storyline. Yes, it, it is supposed to be 100% episodic. There still are going to be linear elements. Now, I, I've read quite a bit about this because I was a huge fan of Anson Mount's Christopher Pike. I, Rebecca, oh, she was dreamy as number one. And Ethan Peck did a great job as Spock. Pike actually, in season two of Discovery, was, and this isn't a spoiler, it's, okay. it's season two, but he was captain of Discovery for the majority of the second season of Star Trek Discovery. So you really got to know that character. And his portrayal of Pike was brilliant. Don't write me about time crystals. So that, so you're recommending that I check out Discovery then? I would absolutely, before you watch Strange New Worlds, watch at least through season two of Discovery. Right, if I decide to pull the trigger on Paramount+, Plus, then I'll start with Discovery and work my way forward. Discovery and Picard are both phenomenal. Without, hands down, without a doubt, phenomenal. You know, my wife, far from a Star Trek nerd. Right. She watched all of Picard and enjoyed it. Oh. Can't get her into Discovery because it's a little more Trekky than, than, than Picard is. Picard is a little more, I don't know, character-driven drama. Okay. But that's still high praise. If you can get, if your wife watched Picard, that leads me to think I should check it out, you know? Yeah, Picard and Discovery, both great. You would love both. I can safely say that your wife would love Picard as well. And the great thing about Picard we tan we got off on this tangent, but now we're on Picard. The great thing about Picard is you don't have to be a super next generation nerd to appreciate it. Do, do you know that John Luke Picard was captain of the Enterprise? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, do you know that Data was an android? Yes. yes. Do you know, generally speaking, what a Borg is? Bad. <laughs> do you know, generally speaking, that the Romulans are bad? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. That That is... And, of course, there are callbacks for the deep nerds in the show. But you can appreciate the show without being a convention-going Star Trek fan. And that's, that's sort of the category that, that my wife fell into. So, anyway, yes. Watch Discovery watch Picard, then watch Strange New Worlds. 
High praise from Ryan, people. You heard it here first. I, I, no, I, I don't think I have a single negative thing. I mean, I could come up with some nitpicky things. Anybody could. But if I sit back and watch a show, not a single negative thing to say. And if I look at the big things that other folks say that are, you know, the negative things about the shows, they're so easily dismissed. Oh, well, they didn't have that technology in in, in the original series. No, it's 2022, people. Things evolve. Right, exactly. And I, for one, do you remember the episode Spock's Brain? Yes. Do you remember how terrible that episode was? Yes. Do you remember some of the costumes that passed for aliens on the original series? Oh, you mean silver fabric bikinis and uh, long robes? Yes. Do you remember some of the special effects from the original series? You mean lack of special effects? Aren't we thankful that things have evolved? I don't want it to look like that again, because when I look back at that, there's the nostalgia factor that allows me to watch it. But you really sit back and you say, man, this looks pretty bad. Right. I mean, you know, when you take a set that's on gimbals and actually tilts versus them throwing themselves to the right or the left. Exactly. On, yeah. <laughs> Although, Star Trek wouldn't be Star Trek if everyone didn't grab their chair at least once per season and in an overdramatic Shatner-esque manner hold on for their lives. All right, so Strange New Worlds is a yes. Strange New Worlds is a big old yes. Okay. Next on the list is also from Paramount Plus. Halo, dramatizing an epic 26th century conflict between humanity and an alien threat known as the Covenant. Were you a big Halo gamer? I played the first one, but I was never really an Xbox guy. I was always PlayStation for my uh, consoles, so I never really played very many of the games. And the original one didn't have a whole lot of story, you know? I've read a few things about Halo, and I, I want to love it because I really did like the story through probably Halo 3. Okay. But I worry. (laughs) (laughs) I worry about the video game translating to a movie and or TV show curse. True. There's not been a good history of that as far as, uh, oh man, now I've got all the terrible ones stuck in my head. The Super Mario Brothers movie. I like the Super Mario Brothers movie. You know, that has a huge cult following now. I can believe that. We'll have to do some research because I honestly forget but there's a whole like philosophical movement behind some of the stuff that's in the original Super Mario Brothers movie I'll I'll do some homework and we'll talk about it down the road okay tell tell me what you've got before before I go into it because I've only read bits and pieces and not with any great detail it says The series will weave deeply drawn personal stories with action, adventure, and a richly imagined vision of the future. Yeah, that's the video game, all right. (laughs) Right? Right, I mean, it's, you know, you wonder about characters like Cortana or the Master Chief, but 
it doesn't bite me. Like I don't, I, I, I'm not looking at it going, Oh, I've got to see that, you know? Right. And I worry that because master chief was always the nameless faceless video game hero, how is that going to translate? You know, master chief was doom guy only in halo world. Makes sense because in a video game, you're trying to put yourself in that role. So the less that character has in the way of personality or um, identifiability, the more you can kind of put yourself into his shoes. And you inherently, when you put yourself into that role, you're, you're bringing on your own characteristics into it, which is why that, that model works for so many video games. Without that background, is it going to work? Would something be better off like a Mass Effect versus a Halo? Hmm. Good point. I would watch the shit out of a Mass Effect show. Because those characters have established personalities and identities. Right. Cortana's an AI. Master Chief is a space marine. Right. End of character development. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, that one didn't excite me too much, but like I said, there's buzz out there about it, so I put it on the list. It's it's a maybe. We'll we'll see how it goes sort of thing for me. Show me a few previews, and then we'll talk about it. Right. You know? The next one is from Hulu, uh, The Orville, New Horizons. Have you seen any of The Orville? I have not. I... I I correct myself. I tried to watch the Orville when it first came out. And I think I made it two or three episodes and threw in the towel. Not a popular opinion, I know. Right. I mean, I enjoyed the first two seasons of the Orville. They're calling New Horizons the third season, but they're also calling it like a uh, a total revision because a la Star Trek Discovery, they're thro- they only have part of the original crew and they're throwing them 400 years into the future to explore the universe and their own relationships. You know, you know what will be interesting? A lot of, back to the Butthurt Brigade, a lot of those Star Trek fans sort of champion the Orville. Oh, the Orville is what, what Star Trek should be. I'm wondering what they're going to think because it's taking the exact same path that Discovery did from what it sounds like to me. Right, and that's and that's something that I thought about too is people who hated Star Trek fans who hated Discovery are they, you know, are they are Orville fans going to hate New Horizons? Well, we we do have to admit that our particular fandoms are very fickle. Number 1, they're also easily polarized. They'll either champion something until they die, or they'll hate it with all the passion in their soul. In a very hypocritical manner, too. We'll see. We'll see. Not a huge Seth MacFarlane fan. I enjoyed the Orville. Uh, I found it it was good for, like, you know, if you wanted something lighthearted and something that you could, you know, just, you know sit down, eat popcorn, and watch. The Orville was good for that, but... I don't know that I would call it like groundbreaking science fiction or anything like that. And okay. and I'll be honest, I probably will let that one go just because I wasn't an Orville fan. I probably will at least check out an episode or two, but I don't know 
if it will keep my attention the way the original series did. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Next is our first one from Netflix. Uh, Resident Evil. Yes. Were you a fan of the films? Mm, yes and no. Uh, you know, I think the I, I like kind of like the original one, but as they as they went on, they got a little more ridiculous. ridiculous? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, here, that's here, the term I would use. Ridiculous. Here's the question that that every everyone wants to ask, but only I will ask it because. I don't mind having those horrible words thrown at me. Is Mila Jovovich in it? I have not seen anything that says that she will be taking part in it. Supposedly, series will take place across two different timelines, before and after the outbreak of the T-virus. It follows Albert Wesker's two 14-year-old daughters, Billy and Jade, in New Raccoon City, and then the second timeline follows a 30-year-old Jade as she fights to survive in a world overrun with zombies with fewer than 15 million humans surviving worldwide. Not interested. Mm. Yeah, I mean... It, I was it able to dismiss like... it that quick, because going to the 13, 14-year-old siblings thing, I call back to what happened in Ghostbusters. Are they going to mm. turn Resident Evil into a tween show? <laughs> I don't think that you can really... I can't think of any tween zombie uh, properties. Can you? I don't know. I couldn't think that they were going to try to do it again with Ghostbusters. Remember, there was an animated show, an animated Ghostbusters, I want to say in the 90s or early aughts, that had a bunch of kids running around playing Ghostbusters. And right, but they were college students. Um, were they? Yeah, they were in Egon's one of Egon's college courses. I remember it uh, vaguely. I've seen a handful of episodes, but yes, yeah, they were college kids. With Afterlife, that was my biggest, I guess if I had a gripe with Afterlife was that it was too young. I felt I felt like the old man in the theater. Oh, right. So we can skip the Resident Evil. For, you know, like I said, it's probably going to be a skip it for me too. I was... What's next? Now this next one is something I'm super excited about, but you might not know anything about. That means I probably don't. Netflix, Sandman. I know a little bit about it because I just read an article on it, but I'll let you give okay. me the, the Burt synopsis first. Okay, so I grew up in high school reading these comic books. There's an author named Neil Gaiman, and he wrote a series of comic books about a group of beings called the Endless. And the Endless are incarnations they all start with d there's death dream delirium desire destruction destiny so they're these uh they're this endless family that has control over the element that they're named after right sure sandman is dream and so in the comic books and it looks like from the preview i saw it looks like the setup is this rich guy doesn't want to die so he hires a, so he either starts a cult or hires a group of people to capture death. And they wind up capturing Dream instead and imprisoning Dream. Not good for much of the world, I would assume. After being held captive for a century, Dream has to 
recover his kingdom because he's the king of the world of dreams, but he's been away a hundred years and now he has to restore his kingdom and restore the dreaming. Awakening in 1916 after being held captive for a century, Dream must work to recover his kingdom of the dreaming. Interesting. I do like the time period. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm a, I'm a fan of the, the 19-teens and the mm-hmm. 1920s. Agreed. I love period pieces set like that. Plus, for me, there's that nostalgia factor. I read all of those comic books in high school, and it'll be like... I loved the way that they that the authors set up the world. So if they stay true to that kind of vision, I can see this being a really interesting show to watch. So I'm going to be of the opinion that you're going to watch it and Absolutely. you're going to tell me how hardcore I need to watch it. Yeah, I, I think that we can go with that. I'll, I'll start it, and then if it's amazing, I'll tell you it's amazing. And if it's not... I'll tell you it's not, and that way you know whether or not to waste your time. Sounds good. Sounds good. What else you got for us? And then the next ones, we're starting into the Amazon ones now. Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Mm -hmm. That's getting beat up real good right now on the interwebs. Right. Takes place a thousand years before the events of The Lord of the Rings. There won't be many crossover characters, and a lot of people are talking about Amazon creating new racially diverse roles to modernize Middle-earth. And that is where the controversy lies. Tolkien Mm -hmm. has a very established universe and a very established fan fan base. This is riling people up left and right. I mean, I read Tolkien at least once a year. I, I, I read one of his books. How do you feel about revising Tolkien? I think that considering the time period that he lived in, like the idea of diversity is in his books, but there's never been really... But there is diversity, right? It's just diversity amongst races. And right. we're not talking Humans about and like, elves and dwarves. Yeah, right. we're not talking petty human races, black, white, purple, whatever. You know, right. we're, we're talking legitimate races. Exactly. Do I care if my elf has such and such a skin tone no if it's if it's a good show do i care if my dwarf i I don't know has such and such a characteristic no but if it falls outside of what's already established then are we trying to be woke just for woke's sake and there's something to be said for representation you know being able to relate to a character or having you know depending on who the series is meant for having characters that other people can relate to so like you said i have no problem with you know skin pigmentation or anything like that the question is like are they going to stay true to you know the you know the established races and things like that what are they how are they going to present this and i haven't seen enough to know no and and unfortunately just based on current nerdy world events i don't think that we're going to see that staying true because staying true is being perceived as 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 evil and you know it's being <sighs> it's being characterized in the negative light and unfairly so 
Is this your orcs are no longer evil soapbox again? No, I'm not going to get on that soapbox. Okay. I'm, I'm tired. I can't climb tonight. Now, will I still watch the first couple of episodes? You you can count on it. I agree. You know, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the source material, you know, so I'm going to have to at least check it out. Now, Amazon did this with, uh, and again, this might fall out of the normal nerd cognito spectrum, but you know that I am a fan of particularly British period pieces. Agreed. Yes, I, I, I know that you're a fan of British period pieces. And um, Amazon tried with a series called Bridgerton, Bridgerton, something like that. Bridgerton. I've heard of it, haven't seen any of it. And Bridgerton cast the characters just as whatever. And that removed me so far from reality that I couldn't get into the show. And again, I could care less physically what the look is, but I, oh, I guess I can't say that. I guess I can't say that I could care less. In a fantasy world, I could care less what the look is. But when it's a reflection of what the world fucking was, and you try to revise that, it, it, it just took me out of it, and, and it wasn't appealing to me. And I can see that. I mean, unfortunately, with a historical piece, if you're trying to stay true to a historical time period, there are certain established norms that you've got to hit. And we understand that those norms, those mores, don't apply now, but that's what makes the period piece fun to fucking watch. Because it is taking you back to another time, to another place. So, we'll see. We'll see mm. how they do with Lord of the Rings, because it is Lord of the Rings, I I will give it a shot. Agreed. All right, and I got one more for you. Now, this one I think that both of us are going to be kind of excited about. Oh, okay. More excited than than when you got me on on Star Wars and Star Trek with the first two. Mm, I don't know. This is based on some, uh, based on an intellectual property that we both like. Uh oh, I know. I think I know what it is. Hit me with Amazon it. Blade Runner 2099. Yeah, we were talking about this this week, you and I. Yep. Ridley Scott, who directed the original 1982 Blade Runner movie, is executive producing the series. It's a follow-up to the feature film Blade Runner 2049. Um, not a lot of is known about it as of yet. Um, there are even rumors that Ridley Scott may direct. Now, here's my question that I have to open with. What did you think of 2049? I thought 2049 was, it didn't feel, it didn't have as much of that noir element that I loved from the original Blade Runner. Thank you. I don't think that it was a bad film, but the lo I missed the loss of that noir element. And they intentionally removed it, in my opinion just based on a lot of the settings and a lot of the character development. It was going more for grit versus noir. And, Agreed. And they have a lot of similarities, and there is a lot of crossover when you go from grit to noir, but they're also distinctly different. Right. I mean, watching the film, like the color palette was different. The settings weren't as dark. Like it didn't feel like that sort of cyberpunk noir that you got from the original Blade Runner that makes it a classic. 
the only part that I felt was noir, but not in an urban setting, was one of the very early bits in the movie. Dave Batista uh, pulled out someone's eyeball or something. Oh, yes. And, and it was rural, and it was in the farm, but it still had those same feelings. It had the same atmosphere. It had the same cinematic feel. And then the rest of the movie felt like kind of like a Xerox of a Xerox, if that makes any sense whatsoever. For me, I guess some of it is the nostalgia factor. You know what I mean? You know, going back to that world, seeing Harrison Ford reprise his role from the original Blade Runner, like things like that. Can we just talk about Harrison and knowing when to say when? (laughs) (laughs) Just, Just for a moment. Hero of our childhood clearly is Harrison Ford, right? Fucking Definitely. Han Solo, fucking Indiana Jones, fucking Decker. I mean, right? Even even um, action films like Air Force One and things like that. Get off my kids. plane! Right? He it it pains me to say it, but I see it happen a lot in a lot of the things that I like in pop culture. You gotta you gotta know when to say when. And and I think the paycheck is not what he's doing it for, clearly. It's for the legacy, and it, there's a point where you do more harm to the legacy than good. I can see that. You, uh, well, and, and that's the thing, is you don't want to, you kind of don't want to admit that your heroes are getting too old to be heroes, because then if your heroes are getting older, what does that mean for you? True. But I look Knowing- at it like this. Um, growing up, huge professional wrestling fan. I was, right? Okay. Maintained that through my teens. Had the fortune to work for one of the major wrestling companies when I was in my early 20s. Got to see all elements of the business. But I don't want to see Hulk Hogan work a match today. Oh, no. No, nobody wants to see that. I mean, first of all, will break a hip. <laughs> Second of all, I want to remember Hulk Hogan slamming Andre the Giant. I don't want to remember Hulk Hogan limping back to the locker room. Put it in another perspective, one of my favorite bands, Genesis. They just had their another tour where they were all out there. Phil Collins cannot stand and is singing from a chair. He cannot play the drums. There was an interview where he said it cannot pick up a drumstick anymore. Wow. I made the mistake of clicking a link that said, hey, watch Genesis perform this for the first time since 1982. And now what I want to remember Phil Collins and Genesis as has been replaced by this old guy playing the part of Phil Collins sitting in a chair on stage. So that's where where I'm at with Harrison Ford, too. You know, yes, icon. Super iconic roles that we will always remember. Don't blow that for me. Maybe I'm selfish. I, I, I am selfish. I'm a huge believer in ethical egoism. It's how I live my life. So don't do that for me. <laughs> but also don't do it for you. Now, the, the question is, though, you know, 
sight unseen because they haven't really released anything about it yet, like previews or photos or anything like that. You know, um, I'm watching it. I'm watching it yeah. because it's Blade Runner. But again, I'm not married to it, and I reserve the right to say you're ruining my Blade Runner memories, and and I, I'm going to turn it off. I agree with you wholeheartedly. The uh, obviously nerds like us, you know, they go out on the forums and they talk about everything, right? A lot of the stuff I'm seeing are people saying that, oh, if if altered carbon failed, Blade Runner's going to fail. And I was like, well, I get it, no. but I don't. No, cuz Altered Carbon was no Blade Runner. Altered Carbon was terrible, but it was no Blade Runner. Sure. I also have the reservation in the back of my head that Ridley Scott hasn't hit a lot of home runs in the last 20 years. Mm, there is that. Do I need to mention Covenant again? Hmm. Even Prometheus, which was at least was more tolerable, he's gone back to the well of his success and not come up with a lot of gold. If there are no new ideas and no way to expand it, at some point a series has to be put to rest. And the Harrison Ford question goes to Mr. Scott, too. Is it time? Mm. Is it time? I mean, let's face it. He's been doing this now for 50 years. Is it time? There is that. I mean, he's been making movies, you know, our entire lifetime. We have seen Ridley Scott films go from amazing, groundbreaking effects and groundbreaking. Like when Alien came out, that was body horror and things like that wasn't a thing. Right. You know, and an alien made it a thing. So Ridley Scott has broken ground and things like that. And as he ages, like, are, is there any new ground left for him to break? No, and it is going to come to the point where the only thing left to break is Hulk Hogan's proverbial hip. And oh. I don't want to see that with any of the people that I am huge fans of their work. You have your successes. Bank them. Relive them. I would rather watch Blade Runner again than a bad Blade Runner sequel. And that's just sort of where I am, you know, except... So what you're saying is Blade Runner watch party? Uh, I am down. We could do a watch along with Blade Runner. We have Absolutely. to find what streaming service it's on and go from there. But it's something that we can discuss if you're not uh, following us on the Facebook or the Twitter Make sure to do it. It's real easy. Go to the link slash nerdcognito on either platform and make sure to give us a follow. Hey, also make sure that you are subscribing to Nerd Cognito on your podcast provider of choice. We're back on Spotify. I did tell you that good news, right, Bert? Absolutely. I started a Spotify playlist. I was cleaning house today, listening to all the old podcasts. Fantastic. Everything is back up and we're running on Spotify. All of our old things, except for episode number one. <laughs> episode number one is still lost in the ether, but everything else is there. Uh, but not just Spotify. Google, it used to be Google Play Music. It's now Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Podbean, your provider of choice. We are there. 
give us a follow and a subscription, and we will be delivered to your device every week. Uh, it's easy to do, and of course, if you're uh, going in, we don't really care about reviews because you, you know what's happening lately, Bert? What's that? I, I had to have six different reviews pulled from Apple Podcasts this week because shit that I, Ryan David, say, people are going to my profile, oh, Ryan David, that, that's the Nerd Cognito guy. We're going to go to Nerd Cognito and give it one star. <laughs> so they're going to, like, your Facebook or your Twitter or wherever you're posting ding, ding, to ding, social ding, media ding, ding, ding. and going, I don't like him, so bomb his podcast. Fortunately, all you really have to do now is have a screenshot because these douchebags are so stupid. They're like, yeah, well, you should go check your podcast reviews. <laughs> all you got to do is <laughs> send a screenshot in with that and boom, it's gone. <laughs> so, uh, And truth be told, Here's a little insight for those of you that are thinking about joining the podcasting world. Reviews do not impact your traffic at all. I was shocked when I first found this out. Because you would think, you know, if you're a restaurant or if you're a business, that's huge. Podcast, not so much. So uh, we talked about Ridley Scott rolling his 20. Those trolls have rolled their one. <laughs> we all know. They really we all know have. what happens when you roll the one, Ryan. Well, you know what happens if you roll the one with an easy roller dice company die? Everyone at your table goes, ooh, that's a nice set of dice you've got there. Um, and that's not just a pickup line, Bert. Easy roller dice company makes some kick-ass sets of dice. I have seen some of their like some of the announcements for their new sets. They look amazing. It's it's outrageous, and you know you're going on their 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 website and you you check out what they have, and you're saying, man, those are premium dice, but I don't want to do it. They have dice for all budget levels. You can get an amazing set of dice for ten bucks through hundreds of dollars. I'm still a fan of the cat's eye set of dice, Easy Roller. I'm still waiting for you to send me my preview copy of cat's eye dice but i have a feeling that i'm going to be buying one sooner or later because every time i go to their site that is the set that i'm drawn to but it, it doesn't matter fantastic american-made dice that are just brilliant brilliant dice go to nerdcognito.com scroll down on the main page to our sponsors section and click on the link for the easy roller dice company check out everything they have we're sure you'll find something that you like, and they're just sweet, sweet, sweet dice. Great gift, Absolutely. too, Bert. I was thinking about getting a set of easy rollers for everyone in the gaming group. Unfortunately, the holidays are long ways away, so by that time I will have forgotten and found something else to get. <laughs> I have been looking lately, I've been thinking about, because it would be so handy to take to... Because I, I travel a lot with my gaming supplies because I don't normally play at home. Right. So I've been looking at their dice trays and things like that, like the ones with the lid and the rolling area on them. Oh, yeah, it's like, all self-contained. They, they have storage. They have dice. I mean, great, great company. And price-wise, do you want to give it to some nameless, faceless Chinese company on eBay? Or do you want to give it to, to some guys that are really doing the best job that they can and producing some high quality dice. Hey, I'm patriotic. USA. 
you uh, say? <laughs> I, I can't disagree with you. And look, I mean, ha, have you been onto their website recently? I was looking at dice sets earlier this week. They even have, like, this is the cheapest thing I've ever seen. They have a $5 surprise me set where yeah. you can buy a full set of dice for 5 bucks. You just don't know what you're going to get. You know, we love their dice so much. The spot ended about two minutes ago, and we're still talking about it. No, but that's – I have heard that you can get some of their super premium sets in that too. They they just – on a whim, they'll send out one of those on their $5 set. So it's uh, not promising. You know, don't go and order one and say, well, Ryan David on Nerdcognito said. But, you know, it's whatever they want to send you. And uh, great company. Fantastic. We loved them before they were a sponsor. We love them even more now that they are a sponsor. You put together a hell of a list, my friend. I'm glad you liked it. No, I, I think it's a good preview of things to watch as time goes by. Things that also go by every week, whether we like it or not. We've got the nerdy news. All right, what's in the news this week, Ryan? Oh my goodness, what is in the news this week? <sighs> We've been talking about the trials and tribulations if you're trying to get a new GPU for your computer. Right. Uh, Best Buy, well, they've recently restocked several times. There's a catch, though, Bert. Okay, tell me more. Best Buy now has put all of their GPUs behind a paywall. To be able to purchase one of their one of the new GPUs. And this isn't just like super premium GPUs, high-end GPUs. This is even the new budget GPUs. You have to be a member of their $199 per year total tech program. The GPUs have been moved to a spot on their website that is reserved for total tech customers only so you have to pay them 199 dollars a year to even find out if they have the gpu that you want to buy yeah best buy restocked all of their nvidia gpus including the rtx 3000 series but you had to be subscribed to the total text program for 199 bucks a year and that restriction was on not all of their gpus but any of the gpus that are worth buying now and that includes the Founders Edition products for NVIDIA, which, if you don't know, is a Best Buy exclusive line that is just cost-effective. They're the most affordable GPUs in the 3000 series. Best Buy is the only retailer that sells them, and now they're the only retailer that sells them if you pay the $199 up front. Okay, that's a little ridiculous. I mean, you're a company, you're providing a product, why do you not want people to know about your product? Oh, people know about it because all of the stock refreshes have sold out. Hmm. So, I don't even know what I was going to say. Fuck it. The, people are paying the premium to get the, the, the processors. Is it that bad? If Best Buy can make that money, they've got a little bit of, I guess you could call it bad press, but is it bad press even? It's advertising, hey, we have these products that are incredibly sought after, and you can get them if you're a member of this program. So give us your money, and then you can buy all the all you can buy all you want. You can. And speaking of buy all you want, putting it behind the paywall did prevent all of the scalper bots from scraping them up. 
So what used to sell out in 40 to 50 minutes now is selling out in four to five days to legitimate oh. human beings. Now that's a, now that's something I hadn't thought about. Basically, by putting them behind the paywall, they're cutting out those, you know, scalpers and things like that who, you know, are buying everything they can get their hands on so they can jack the prices up. You know, is it the most customer-friendly move? Not necessarily, but people are still buying them. Take a step back. If you're going to pay $1,200 for a GPU, you're going to pay $1,400 for a GPU. Right? What's right. 200 I mean, bucks even, at this point? Right. I mean, even if you have a budget for your build, you're going to stretch on the GPU to get what you need because that's the core of your system. Sure. You're cutting you out cut a lot of crypto miners this way. You're cutting out all the bots this way. Although I tend to think that the crypto miners, if they wanted to get them, they're going to pony up the 200 bucks too. I don't know. It, I think they probably would. Crypto miners would. I, I think so too. But I do know that uh, people are still buying GPUs behind the paywall or not. So from a business standpoint, I don't think it's a bad move. It's not a popular move. No one likes spending an extra 200 bucks. But if you're going to buy it in the secondary market, you're going to spend an extra four to $600. And there is that. I mean, the, right now, if somebody bought them up and resold them, you're going to pay more than that to get what you want anyway. Now, here is one of the caveats. A handful of Twitter users wanted to buy the GPU, signed up for the Total Tech program, but the Total Tech program didn't activate on their account until after the GPUs went out of stock. Oh, no. It was not an instant activation, so still some bugs in the system. I'm sure that with an email, they would have gotten their money back. Gotten? I, I passed English 11. <laughs> Did you? Uh, <laughs> it's like Paul Simon and Kodachrome, man. Uh, interesting, interesting business perspective. I don't necessarily fault them for it because if there's money to be made and you're a company, you're going to make the money. Any way I, you can. Any way you can. Any way you can. I have a friend that used to own a gaming store. Uh, a couple states over in the glorious state of New Jersey. And when Gloomhaven was the bee's knees, he was bound and determined that every copy of Gloomhaven that he got would go at, out at manufacturer's suggested retail price. And this is when people were paying two, three, four hundred dollars for a copy of Gloomhaven. Right. I mean, they had that shortage for a while and prices were through the roof. I told him he was fucking nuts. Make the money. But he refused to on the principle of customers. Well, I said he used to own a gaming store. There was a second gaming store in the market. And that second store still exists. His no longer does. So at some point you have to weigh customer relations with profit. Do I is there a right answer? No. But I I I'm not 
as quick to villainize Best Buy on this one as the internet is. And and thinking about it after just talking it through for you, I mean, the it's actually, by doing it this way, they're almost providing a service because they're able to keep things in stock that people want for a longer period of time, making it more likely that people who are trying to buy them to use them are going to get them rather than the people who are buying them for resale or just trying to buy up anything they can. I am so shocked. I walked right up to the edge of the cliff and Bert said, step aside, Ryan. And he took a running jump and went right off. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, they, I don't know that it's a service. Come on. They're still making an extra 200 bucks on, on a program that was not selling at all before. But there, there are positives to it. There is a value in that $200. That $200 is saying you're going to be able to purchase from a pool that's not available to the general public. It's like Costco, right? You, you pay the premium to walk in the door. Right, any warehouse club. Costco, BJ's, Sam's Club. Hey, we're getting a BJ's, but it's not terribly close to my house. I'm just glad that we're getting one in, in the market. That's we, we have to one me. terribly close to my house, like two miles, just opened. Really? Yeah. Really? Have yep. you gone yet? Uh, I Not only did I go, during opening weekend, they had this great thing where you signed up for a membership for $55, and they gave you a $40 gift card. That's, so your first year was 15 bucks. Can't beat that. The only thing that was better was Costco. Back in the day when they opened a new warehouse, they would just give away the first year. You go in, you have to wait in a ridiculously long line, but free membership for the first year. The, with uh, BJ's, the sign-up was online. You had to go to the store to pick up your card, and when you did, they put $40 gift card right on it. That's that's not a bad deal. No, it was. And like I said, uh, I've gone a few times, and it has been great for anything that you buy in large amounts regularly. Uh, just like any other warehouse club, it's great for that. You hear that? Everybody retweet this episode and tag BJ's in it because we, we just gave them a free plug. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I you know you're you're paying for the privilege of doing something, right? Next up, we talked about um, well, you talked about your comic book history, or at least a piece of it, when you were going right. through the upcoming shows with Sandman. Absolutely. I, I used to collect a few titles here and there. One of our affiliates, loose affiliates, it's not like they call me on a weekly basis, but, you know, if we have an interesting product that you can get on Amazon, we throw up a an Amazon link and we get a paltry anywhere from a half percent to like two or three percent on, on the purchase. It helps us pay the bills. Well, Amazon has uh, bought... Comixology. You familiar with Comixology? I've heard the name, but I'm not familiar with the service, no. Comixology was one of the digital comic book readers and marketplaces. So Amazon purchased them, and this week they shared more details on how they will integrate Comixology into their ecosystem. So there's a huge fact up that you can go and read. But there were some interesting and key factors that I think are very important for very avid comic fans. Now, the older I get, the more of an omnibus comic reader I am, just because it's convenient. I can get it all in one book, right? Right. Uh, 
I actually haven't subscribed to a comic now for two or three years because it, my lifestyle just fits better if I buy the omnibus. Right, graphic novels or omnibus editions yes. just make more sense than monthly titles, especially when you have a kid in the house. Right, and, and I can't go to the comic book store once a week and pick up my subscriptions. I mean, I can, but <sighs> past it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the big thing is Comixology will no longer fulfill pre-orders released on February 17th. So if you're a current Comixology subscriber, you have to cancel your subscription and reorder through Amazon. That's like the biggest hiccup. Everything else, uh, it's directly through Amazon. So you go to the Zon, you look up your comic book, you can buy it right there, you could subscribe to it right there, and boop, the reader will just pop up right on your screen. They had an early target, or they had a target for early 2022 for full integration. That, of course, is delayed. But now, when you when you say full integration, are they in, integrating it into like their Kindle service for like digital readers? Yes. Okay. Yes, all of your devices. So you can read on your phone. You can read on your Kindle. You can read on your uh, PC. Sounds good. I mean, you know, if you can get the comics right to your phone or right to your device, why wouldn't you? No, uh, it, it is. The other why wouldn't you is just my own personal nitpick when it comes to comics and generally speaking books. I, I got to I gotta read it, read it. I, I have a real tough time. And I think it's probably because in my work life, I have a fuck ton of screen time. So I appreciate sitting down and, and reading a comic book. But I've never been able to really digitally read. I remember when Kindle first launched, I, I was fortunate enough to uh, get a pre-release Kindle. And, of course, I read a handful of books on it. But the longer I held it, the less I enjoyed reading on a screen. And and that's true to this day. I, I'm... Especially with a comic book, I want to see it, feel it, touch it. You're one of those people who has to have the paper. Yeah, it just it makes a difference for my personal experience. It doesn't feel like a comic book on screen. And I've tried. I've tried to read digital comics. I know it just doesn't jive with my brain. But a lot of shit doesn't jive with my brain. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, some people have to have that. I... I, uh, I'm an avid reader. I read everything, including the cereal box in the morning. And for me, a digital medium, I kind of had to adapt to that because I don't have room in my house to store all of the books that I'm reading. Like the, uh, my digital reader has over 300 books on it. I think only one is unfinished at this point, but time to load up some more, but I wouldn't have room in my home to store that many titles. No, that that always was was a problem. And uh, shit, you've seen my game room. If I <laughs> if I open up the bookshelves, the books are all behind the doors, Bert. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, it, it is a problem. And then you you run into the fact of are you a collector or a reader? Then when you get into some of the the hardcover stuff, like I held on 
to my third edition Dungeons and Dragons stuff forever before I finally said, you know what, it's time just to get rid of this stuff because I need the space. We're not going to play third edition anymore. It's time to go. We're not playing three five. It's time to go. I did. I did keep a couple prime prime titles though that that hold a special place in my heart, like the Book of Vile Darkness. <laughs> I shit you not. I still have the Book of Vile Darkness just because it's important, and I have all my Privateer Press stuff just because I th- thought that that system was phenomenal. And it's not really aged out because nothing has changed. There hasn't been a revision to it. So I guess technically it's still, even though it's a living dead system, the the company still exists, but they haven't released anything Iron Kingdoms that has been specific for the role-playing game for a long time. But I love the Iron Kingdoms setting, and I thought that in particular the Iron Kingdoms monster manuals were the bee's knees. They were the best monster manuals for 3035 just because they focused on quality over quantity. I think they only had 50 to 70 monsters in it, where the Wizards products and a lot of third-party products were were cramming 200, 300 monsters in. Right. But each monster had three to four pages. So you had monster history, monster background, monster lore, uh, even suggested hooks for how to integrate a monster into a non-Kingdoms game. I'll show I'll show you one of those books. To this day, the best monster manual that I have ever read was Monsternomicon, and that is the first Iron Kingdoms monster manual. Gotta love a good book of monsters. Like a monster can make a whole adventure. Indeed, indeed. I was looking through the the fifth edition monster manual in preparation for our fifth edition campaign, and it's. It's definitely important. And a lot of people don't always embrace the fact that monster manuals are more templates than anything else. Your monster can be whatever you want, but it's a lot easier if you find a monster that does what you want to do and just describe your monster on top of that stat block. <laughs> right, right. Or uh, or find a monster that you can use as a baseline. Yes, yes. Without a doubt. Well, Michael did text me today before he backed out on recording with us this evening. And he said, you're right. You got to download Lost Ark. Let's play together. And I said, uh, I don't have time for an MMO, man. You know, outside of my nerd life, my real life right now is very hectic and very time sensitive. Yes, it and- is. And um, that's going to slow down, thank goodness, before the next episode. (laughs) (laughs) Glad to hear that. But um, I even even prior to this hustle bustle that's going on right now, even my former real life, just with family and with other commitments, I I didn't have time for an MMO then. I don't have time for an MMO now. Have you done any looking at Lost Ark? No, I, I have no time for MMOs either between working overtime, trying to spend some time with my family, basic even meeting up a couple of times a month with, you know, the gaming groups that I'm in. I really don't have time for something like that. It just they just eat up your life if you let them. It it does. And don't get me wrong, I love gaming. Gaming is 
kind of central to everything that we do, right? This podcast is a huge theme, gaming, right? I do it for fun. I do it for work. <laughs> it's it's, <laughs> it's just ever-present. Uh, but I don't have time to invest in another MMO. But Lost Ark, Michael's not the only one that has downloaded and played it. Lost Ark has become the second most played game in Steam history. Wow. In 24 hours. What was the first most? There was the... the Counter-Strike Counter -Strike Go. Ah, okay. Uh, Lost Ark has comfortably passed 1 million concurrent players in just 24 hours. The Diablo-like MMO, he tried to sell me on that too. Uh, launched earlier... In the West, Amazon Games celebrated, or after Amazon Games collaborated with Smilegate RPG to localize and translate Lost Ark and make it available in English. It's so popular right now that, of course, there were server issues on launch day. What game doesn't have server issues on launch day? It's almost like I don't want to play a game on launch day anymore. I kind of want to wait two months. Right, because it's a rite of passage that the servers are going to crash or something's going to go haywire on launch day. So it passed uh, CSGO's record of 1.3 million players and Dota 2's record of 1.2 million players. It's not exactly clear how many of those players are actively playing or sitting in a server queue. <laughs> <laughs> but say la vie, it is a brand new launch um it's got a long way to go to beat PUBG's peak which was 3.25 million players but it is definitely on a trajectory that it will do that so when folks like you and i say hey we're going to check this out and there's not server issues anymore and we don't have to deal with launch trolls uh i can see i can see it passing PUBG if it passed csgo it's going to pass PUBG. So yeah, I, I can't. I I would agree with you there. If it, considering the momentum that it has, yeah, it, it, it could it, definitely pass PUBG. It's going to do it. So little Korean game out of nowhere, now the most popular game on Steam. Good for them, I suppose. What's your favorite dinosaur, Bert? Uh, well, for me, it was always the Tyrannosaurus as a kid. Well, yeah, I mean. Who didn't like that? And then, you know, Jurassic Park came out, and then that was freaking awesome because of the T-Rex, even though it was horribly inaccurate. Right, and then, you know, it, so if T-Rex is off the table, then the next one for me would be Dimetrodon. See, I, I got to go with Triceratops. Oh, okay. A, a, a good old classic. Not quite a dinosaur, but paleontologists have found a new species of lizard completely encapsulated in amber in a mine in Myanmar. Hmm. So if it's completely encapsulated, so is it a prehistoric lizard or is it... It is a prehistoric lizard that was trapped in tree resin 110 million years ago. Okay. So it is a new species on top of everything else. But among fossils in general, those preserved in amber are rare and very unique because they show you the whole organism. Right. 
Normally it's small things like insects and... Right, but the tree sap, which turns to amber, preserves the soft tissue. And because of that preservation, you can see everything from scaling pattern to even extracting DNA and RNA. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, they don't go there. Uh, <laughs> thank goodness. But they did find a new lizard. Very interesting read. It gets very sciency. I know what happened on Isle Nebular. You'll have to uh, you'll have to send me the article. That sounds cool. As uh, long as they're not trying to clone it, where uh, I'd be interested to find out more about it. I just sent you a picture of said lizard, and I will send you the article as well. It's uh, in Science News. That's neat. It almost looks sort of like a gecko. Yeah, it's a lizard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And last but not least is is my newsy list of the week. Uh, these are simulation video games. You play Sims a lot? Not the Sims. I played but... Sims a little, not a lot. Well, there's a list of some, quote, boring simulation games that are actually super addictive. So let's just go through and say if you've played these and if you find them addictive. Euro Truck Simulator. No, 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 don't know anything about it. Now, you, you know who plays the Truck Simulator games? Who's that? Doug. Really? Doug will drive his big rig all over the world for hours and hours and hours and hours on end. He's recommended it to me a handful of times, and I, I just can't get into that because a couple jobs ago, you remember I had to travel all the time. Right. <laughs> I did my share of driving. <laughs> I think we all have. I had a job where I had to drive to Buffalo about uh, twice a month, and it got old. Yeah, no fun. I've I've driven to Philadelphia from every direction possible more times in my lifetime than anyone really wants to go to Philly. <laughs> and I, I'm one of the guys that likes Philly. I love Philadelphia as a city, and I don't want to drive there ever again. But Euro Truck Simulator, uh, the next one on the list, again, if fucking Michael would have showed up for work tonight, I know he put in a lot of hours fairly recently. Gas Station Simulator. <laughs> no, never played that either. Yeah, Are he, you like he would an stock attendant? his shelves, okay. he would sweep the floors. <laughs> uh, I, I, I remember it was, it was the strangest... Because I never would have said, well, you know, Michael's going to play Gas Station Simulator. What are you doing? Bro, I got these aliens in my gas station and they're eating all of my snacks. Yeah, Gas Station Simulator. Uh, next on the list, this is a new one from this year. Car Parking Simulator. Again, no, not, not something that I've done. Are you a valet? Uh, you are a valet, and you are parking cars. <laughs> uh, these are ridiculous. I can't believe these are real games. A game from last year that had its moment. I, I almost want to say in popularity terms, it went viral. Unpacking. Okay. Unpacking. You've moved before. You know the joy of moving to a new home. 
I don't know that I'd call it joy. Being in the new home is a joy, but moving is kind of a nightmare on wheels. Well, what about the process of taking all of those boxes and unpacking them? Oh, yeah, gotta love that. You, you've lived in a, I've lived here for years, and there's still, I still found a box in the basement that hadn't been unpacked. <laughs> uh, farming Simulator. I, I have to confess, I've played Farming Simulator, and... Uh. I enjoyed it, but it was, you know, the line that simulators have is they have to accurately represent what they're simulating. Right. But still be accessible enough to be a game. Farming Simulator, to me, felt a little too much like work. I enjoyed it when I started playing and when I was learning how to drive my tractors and sow my fields. And then I realized I have to drive my tractor and sow my fields <laughs> and drive my tractor and sow my fields. It, it ceased being a game and I ceased playing it. Um, another game that should not ever exist, Streamer Life Simulator, as a, I don't even want to say third string, not even blip on the radar as far as streaming personality goes. This should not be a game. <laughs> <laughs> this should wow. not be a game. Next up, Workers and Resources, Soviet Republic. This is actually on my wish list. This is a hybrid city builder slash economic simulator. We all know how many hours you put into city builders. Well... Uh, I have not had a chance to play it. It's apparently very, very deep. And it has a huge fan base, but the learning curve is more like a cliff. Uh, hand simulator? I don't even... I, I, I have no words. Hand simulator? Hand simulator. Bus no. simulator. Uh, viscera cleanup detail. Which, which was exactly what it sounds like. It, it was just a shock and clean up blood and guts. Like crime scene cleaning service. Yes. yes. No, no thanks. House Flipper, which I never got into, but I almost bought when it came out uh, because it got a lot of good buzz. But then again, if I'm going to flip a house, I'm going to go buy a house and actually make some money on it. There is that. Why well, put all that work in digitally when you're not going to make a dime? Power wash simulator, which, again, to me, if I want to power wash something, I'm going to get the power washer out of the shed and do the sidewalk that I've ignored for three years. <laughs> and last but not least, the granddaddy of them all, Cities Skylines. Oh, Ryan's favorite game. There, there it is. Uh, 2,000 hours of my life. Not yeah, an exaggeration. Yeah. I, I did have someone email me and say, there's no way you have 2,000 hours in City Skylines. And I sent him a screenshot, and I actually got an apology. I actually got an very, apology. Very nice. Yeah. So I, I, I take that back. I shouldn't have used the voice. 
I used the mom get me a hot pocket voice for that for that and and Dennis I I do remember your name Dennis um I I apologize for using the voice because you were a human being and you said no you know what you were right it's the internet because I said here's my screenshot why are you busting my balls it's the internet and it's a podcast that means nothing right and and he wrote me back and said you're right I I'm sorry. It's just, I hate you so much I got caught up in it. <laughs> You'd be amazed at the number of people that listen to the show that claim they despise me. But they don't despise me. They despise the guy that I play on the internet. So. City Skylines, Bane of My Existence. Brand new expansion just came out. Oh, yeah. I have not picked it up yet because I know what will happen if I do. What does an expansion for city skylines do? Add a new city? Add a new add new buildings? Adds new features. So, for example, there's about a dozen of them. And yes, I have them all. Uh, airports, right? Okay. So, in the base game, you can plunk an airport down. In the expansion... You actually, it goes into the creation of the airport. Uh, another one that they had that's an older expansion was uh, colleges and universities. Of course, in the base game, there's Alice Sim City style. You pop down a building, there, that's your university. Well, in the expansion, you actually create the university. You create the quad. You, you create the paths through the buildings, that sort of thing. Okay. I'm telling you, Bert. The next time it goes on sale, you, you got to get City Skylines. <laughs> you, so I can lose 2,000 hours of my life? Well, you're not going to lose 2,000 hours of your life. Because you're not as insane as me. Oh, I wouldn't say I'm not as insane as you. I'm probably just different. You have insane. a different level of insanity than I do. <laughs> I'm telling you, next time it shows up on Green Man Gaming, I'm going to send you a link and... Uh, you're going to pick up some City Skylines. Because when it does go on sale, especially through Green Man Gaming, you're not going to spend a lot of money. In fact, I think the last time it went on sale in Green Man, it was 10 bucks. So, there you have it. What's this Green Man? Well, Green Man is one of our secret weapons to save some money when it comes to PC gaming. Green Man Gaming eliminates all of the bloat and the cost of that bloat that you get through your normal channels. So instead of going on to, I don't know, that big steamy gaming store that you're used to going to, you go to the Green Man, you get the same key that activates in that big steamy gaming store, only you pay a lot less money. Less money is good. Always. Less money is always good. Less money is the best thing in the world, unless it's the money coming to you, then you want more money, but... Green Man is content to cut out the middleman and pass those savings along to you. Go to nerdcognito.com, scroll down the page, find the Green Man Gaming link. Before you buy any game on any platform, including consoles, check out Green Man Gaming. They can save you a lot on your digital purchases. Again, go to nerdcognito, scroll down, find the link for Green Man Gaming, and save. Yeah, I'm totally, totally, totally sending you the link 
for City Skylines the next time. I, I keep hoping that in one of these bundles it's going to come up and I can gift it to you guys. I, <laughs> Michael tried it. He's just not smart enough to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Well, this, this needs this needs like a tutorial. <laughs> no, but uh, City Skylines is a great game. 2,000 hours of my life. Ugh, that's the news, Bert. Fair enough. All right, so at the top of the show, actually before we went on the air, I sent you a series of pictures. Right. Paint a picture so that our listeners can visualize with their mind's eye what you're seeing. Well, the the last one was a, uh, looks like a clipper ship, multiple sails, uh, on a uh, stand, the uh, one prior to that is, it looks like a game board with hexagonal uh, pieces. There's a number of, like, tokens and markers. It looks like ships, and are these whales or fish? Because Captain, there be whales here. Like, it is difficult to tell from just, like, looking... Because the, uh, the tokens and the uh, minis seem to have, like, a almost a fantasy element to them. Some of them look like they could be aquatic creatures or flying creatures, but I can't tell exactly. So I'm going to say a word, and this is not what the game is, but it will put you in the right mindset for the game. You ready for the okay. word? Ready for the word. It's going to throw you back to, like, middle school. Are you sure you're ready for the word? Dead ready. Spelljammer. Okay. Played a lot of Spelljammer back in middle school. (laughs) I told you it was going to throw you back to middle school. D&D in space. So is it, it's a space exploration game then? It is the board game that's going to hit our table this weekend. If we don't play Barrage. <laughs> um, oh, I see. Airships. Okay, Windward. 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 The board game. I, I have to make sure that I get that D in there. That's what she said. <laughs> Windward. The board game. Uh, I have been aware of Windward for a long time. And you know that things just fall through the cracks as far as you forget about them or you can't find them when you're going to get them. Right. And then, unfortunately, a lot of, uh, a lot of us have a, a board game buying problem. My hand is in the air. So it just gets shoved back and shoved back and shoved back. Windward came out in 2020. You're a captain flying your ship on the skies of a gaseous planet. You gain the most notoriety by sailing the skies, hunting cresters. Those are those whales, right? Okay, sky whales or whatever. Okay, Space whale, I don't know. (laughs) And fighting opponents. Whichever player has the most notoriety at the end of the game is the winner. And uh, 
You take turns moving your ships, taking actions, using supply cards, and directly battling, which we don't often do at our gaming table. No, we tend to favor co-op or competition over direct conflict games. We, we do, and it's, it's not that we won't play them, you know. We're, right. we're big boys and girls. We can, we can battle each other, and we have. I know some groups that, that can't handle that. You know, that's just a mechanic right. that, that's that's off the board. But I was thinking, you know, we need a shorty that we can squeeze in. Now, you, you can see that it's a pretty involved setup. So when I say shorty, I mean less than two hours. Okay. Box time is 30 to 90 minutes. So our first play is probably going to be about two hours with rules. That makes sense. I mean, learning the rules and doing the initial setup and everything is always going to add some time. But we've been in a situation for the past few months where we've needed a shorty that's not a five or ten minute shorty, but is also not a three hour epic. Right. Right. We'll finish up a game and we'll be like, oh, you know, I should head home in like another hour and a half. What are we going to do in the meantime? Right. And this fits the bill. So even though I shouldn't be picking up more board games, I did pick up Windward. Just to fill that gap, it's one that. Interesting. Yeah, I think of... it's it's going to be a good spot, but different for us because we don't do a lot of direct conflict. Right, and it'll be interesting to see with everybody's sort of personalities which one of us actually winds up coming out on top as the most notorious sky pilot. Now, Windward was originally a Kickstarter. And it was sort of one of those labor of love games. It was self-published originally, which God bless them for taking that on. Wow. And Play Monster eventually picked it up. And then El Dorado picked it up. So we're not talking giant publishing companies. Which was why I was surprised that I was able to find it and pick up a copy of it. There's also been, you know, the a big box that includes the expansion, yada yada. I was happy just to just to get the base game to see if it will fill that gap for us. I'm certainly willing to play it. It looks really interesting. Just kind of like it, uh, the pieces and everything. They have this sort of sort of whimsical appearance about them that kind of draws me in and makes me want to know how the game plays and how it functions. I'm glad to hear you say that because I am thinking that our next gaming session will be heavy on Barrage and lighter on Windward. The only thing I'm worried about is effectively teaching two games in one night. There is that. But it's just sort of a a little preview. And of course... I can smell that we're going to have a double board game review next week if this if this happens. Otherwise, whichever one we play will pop up on the show, and the following week we'll try to squeeze the next one in. It supposedly it plays best with three. Okay. But it is, you know, one to four players, but one player isn't really board gaming. Yet I digress. Hmm. A lot of games these days have a setup for solo, but I just can't get into pulling out a board game, setting it up, and playing by myself. Yeah, we talked about that last week. It's it's just not, not for me either. I, I know there's a huge solo board gaming community out there. But come on, people. Drive to your shop and find a group. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the local game store near you, I, I've been there a couple of times, and you can, guys will come in and just set up a board game and let people play. Right. I don't want to talk too much about it, just because, you know, we, we will dedicate a segment, but it's sort of a foreshadowing. So I brought the foreshadowing this week. I brought the barrage foreshadowing. I brought the windward foreshadowing. What else should I foreshadow, Bert? How about role-playing? Have you looked into Alien or given any more thought to, like, which direction we're going to go for our uh, tabletop campaign that we're planning to start soon? I absolutely have. I, I actually picked up one of the cinematic episodes, I guess you can call it, for Alien. And oh, really? I think Which that, one? I think there are two out, right? Uh, there's one out and one coming. Ah, okay. So, obviously, <laughs> I picked up the one that's out. Right, that makes sense. There's one for, like, the Colonial Marines, and then there's one for, called, like, Destroyer of Worlds or something, right? I picked up Destroyer of Worlds, and from both the feedback and just my investigation... It will be better for us to run the cinematic because when the alien kills everybody, then we can go into the the fifth edition campaign. So it's the best of both worlds. We're going to do both. And if we really, really like the, the alien RPG, we can always do the campaign. But the more and more I was reading and prepping to run, I, I think that the, the alien will be a good... I guess jumpstart, because let's face facts, we haven't played an RPG for a while. We have not. So this will be a good kick in the ass to get started. And then once we cut our teeth on the alien, we can bump over to the 5th edition campaign. Michael will not let me escape 5th edition, no matter what. Mm. So I will capitulate and run 5th edition instead of 13th age. Well, I guess I got to get a player's handbook then. But you don't right away because we're going to be playing Alien first. Right. The cinematic, I assume it's um, like a module setup. It's a, it's the story, everything's established. Does it allow for character creation or have pre-gens? It has pre-gens, but there okay. are alternate rules that will allow for character creation or tweaks. But again, because you're running through a cinematic episode... You kind of have to have the characters that are involved in the story. Right. The pregens make the most sense for something like that. There's just a lot of really interesting things that the more and more I get ready to, to run the game, I'm enjoying how they sort of worked certain mechanics. Like, obviously, in the alien world, you're going to have traitors, right? You've got the company. Sure. You've got maybe a dick marine. You've got everybody that has a different agenda. Are there, um, do they have the, uh, what are they called, the synthetics? There are synthetics. Normally those guys have their own agenda because they tow company lines. Well, the traitor mechanic is really what sold me on running Alien. If it comes down to a situation where a character becomes, I'm using my air quotes here, a traitor... Right? So obviously, okay. if, if you kill someone, or if you're fighting someone, or if you're just outwardly against the group. Here's, here's the mechanic and the way that they solved it. 
and I think that this is brilliant and can carry over into the role-playing world in general, you resolve whatever it is. So you and I, you know, I'm a synthetic, you're a Marine. Right. I turn on you, we end up fighting. At the end of what, how, you know, we resolve it as is. If the traitor survives, the traitor immediately becomes an NPC. So the player takes on a new character. And the player takes on a new character. Takes all of the strife out if you end up with one of those at the table. Now here's the question. If the traitor wins the conflict, if they kill the other player, for example... Once they're revealed they... as a traitor, they, at the end of... Once you, re, you let the players resolve it, Okay. And once they are revealed as a traitor in any capacity, they shift to an NPC so that the group maintains a core solidarity. So basically, you could have the traitor could win and still lose their character, and then you have two players making new characters or taking on new characters yes. at that point. And I like that mechanic, actually. The That's further nuance is in a campaign setting. Mm -hmm. it really makes you think before you do something that would, in the GMs, which is game mother, I think that's just fun, <laughs> in the GM's perspective. Does that would, mean we all call you mom? <laughs> mother. In a campaign, though, it, may, it would make you really think before you reveal yourself as a traitor. Right, because, sure, if you're authentically playing a character... That might be the course of action, but you have to really be committed to it because you know that's it. Right, so if you go back to like the first Alien movie, this, spoilers, if you haven't seen a movie that was made decades ago, go watch it now. 1977, question yeah. mark? Or 79? 77 or 79. Right, so if you're, you know, if you're playing the synthetic, you know, you've got that whole company line that you're following as far as that's concerned, like you have to really pick and choose your moment when you're going to take that traitorous action. Cause you want to get the outcome that you want, but you know that as soon as you get there, you're losing your character. Right. Or it makes you really role play so that you never reveal and you still accomplish your agenda. Ah, secrecy cloak and dagger stuff. I like it. Yeah. Alien on deck first. Uh, According to everybody that's played it, the group should prepare to die. <laughs> and I don't say that loving... I mean, you know. When's the last time I have killed a character? Uh, Even when it. Shim, the transgendered orc, turned on us, I didn't kill her. Him. Her. Shim. I, I can't remember the last time I killed a PC outright. As a, as a DM. I don't know, like... After seeing Alien and now considering what big fans we are, the, the upcoming release for the Blade Runner RPG, like I almost want to go through and like order the Blade Runner RPG and like try to talk everybody into playing that before fifth edition. <laughs> you know well it's I mean? running it's running the free league system, so if we like Alien, we'll like that. Because it's it's the same system. Right, I mean, I, no, no, I don't have anything against fantasy gaming, but, um, you know, lately I've been kind of in the mood for a, a good noir game would be a lot of fun. I still want someone, 
you know that there's a new version of Chill out? I did not. Well, new new to us version of Chill. I, I want to say it came out about four or five years ago with no fanfare whatsoever. But there is a third edition of Chill. And uh, that's something that's that's been in the back of my mind, too, especially because it's real easy to set up a noir setting in Chill. But, yeah, Alien, and then 5th edition. And uh, that is my plan. Sounds like you're on board. I, I don't need to sell it to you. No, no, I'm I'm definitely up for the alien. I will uh, I will play fifth edition. Um, you know I I kind of moved away from D and D. Like I played a lot of second, third, and three point five, but fourth edition I just hated the mechanic and the way things were set up so badly. I drifted away to other systems and we moved to Pathfinder, oh. and then we started playing like. Uh, Monster of the Week, Stars Without Number, Fate, like a lot more of uh, open... Um... You heard me groan at Pathfinder, and you just pretended like I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. I heard you groan at Pathfinder. No, I, know I, you... I agree. I, um, I don't think I've enjoyed... I can't say that, because you weren't playing with us when our group was playing 4th Edition. No. We made it work. We really did, and we had a really solid group at that time that was committed to making it work. Right, just the way the rules were set up for for fourth edition was just so. Oh you know, no, I hear. I mean, I had to DM it, right? Right the the uh, the groan that you had for that you that you made for Pathfinder, I will make for fourth edition. I would play fourth edition over Pathfinder. Oh no, I would. I would. I'll take a I'll take a million floating modifiers for uh, to get away from characters on rails. <laughs> I think that the reason fourth edition was more tolerable for me, and and I think we talked about this before too, was the the DM tools for fourth edition uh, were superb, superb. Truth be told, I ended up creating a majority of what we did in fourth edition, so. Maybe that's why it was more tolerable for us. I was also, what, 10 years younger? No, 15 years younger? Or somewhere in that ballpark, younger? And had a lot more time and a lot more energy that I could dedicate towards that. So, who knows? Who knows? Anything else tickling your nerdy muscle this week, Bert? That sounds terrible. Yeah, that, that came out a lot dirtier than you meant it to, Ryan. It sure <laughs> did. I'm not tickling Bert's muscle. Bert's actually no, I, remote. He is not in studio tonight. And I, I don't want you tickling my muscle, Ryan. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I love you, but in a very you're-my-friend sort of way. Right, right. You know, platonic friendship. <laughs> <laughs> well, muscles aside, anything else on your mind this week? No, I mean, like I said, the, I came in with that, you know, hey, here's some upcoming shows idea. But other than that, I don't really have, there hasn't been too much I've seen this week. You know, no, nothing really earth shattering in the nerd world. No, no, I, I think for two weeks in a row, with the exception of the normal caterwauling, which we've already talked about, specifically with Lord of the Rings this week. I think we've expired all of our, our, our nerd knowledge for this week. Please remember 
go to the podcast provider of your choice and subscribe to that show. Also, remember that I am still Zuckerberg muted on Facebook. So people are not always seeing the stuff that I am sending out. Now, the Nerd Cognito page, that's a different story. But we need your help. So please share, 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 and share some more to let people know about your favorite nerdy podcast. Once again, I'm Ryan David. I was joined by Bert, and we will talk at you again next week. See you then, folks. <laughs> <laughs>